Chapter 5 Bletchley Park The operation around the decryption of the Enigma got its name Ultra by Frederick Winterbottom, author of The Ultra Secret, then Group Captain and Chief of the Air Department of the Secret Intelligence Service, or SIS, and therefore responsible for the organization, distribution and security of the decrypted messages. He simply wanted to distinguish the Enigma intelligence from the other types. In 1938, a Polish worker employed in a German factory made notes of the cipher machines which this factory was producing. They were later identified as military versions of the Enigma. He was sacked after a security check, sent back to Poland, and once there, he contacted the Polish Secret Service. They got in touch with the British intelligence to share their knowledge and later were successful in stealing one Enigma machine from that factory with British financial and logistical support. This machine was directly transferred to the British government Code and Cipher School, which set up its headquarters in Bletchley Park in August 1939, later followed by the SIS, the Secret Intelligence Service. This stolen Enigma was not the only machine which the codebreakers in Bletchley Park could make use of. In 1940, another machine, together with operational keys, was obtained from a shot-down German aircraft in Norway. Later, more useful materials were captured from a German tank signals unit, and in 1941, the Royal Navy captured a German submarine, complete with its Enigma and the chart of operation keys. The first employees of Bletchley Park were recruited by the existing employees of the Government Code and Cipher School through their Old Boy Network, which meant their old Oxford and Cambridge colleagues. The focus was not any more on linguists and classicists, but on mathematicians and scientists. They also recruited new members through a crossword puzzle in the Daily Telegraph, anonymously of course. Anyone who would be able to solve it in less than 12 minutes should contact the newspaper. 25 readers replied. Six of them made their way through interviews and tests and became code breakers. Additionally, also chess grandmasters were invited. They were believed to be good cryptanalysts. At the beginning, there were about 200 people working in Bletchley Park. This number increased to 7,000 during the war. When crypt analysts began working in Bletchley Park in 1939, they already knew the Enigma operating procedures the Germans were using, thanks to their Polish colleagues. As the building in Bletchley Park did not have enough space for all employees of the government code and cipher school, they built several wooden huts for the individual teams. The teams kept the number of their huts as their team name, even after being relocated to other facilities. The activities of the Government Code and Cipher School were highly compartmentalized because of security reasons. Only very few people knew exactly what the different huts were working on. The analysts themselves did not know what their colleagues of the neighboring team were doing exactly. Each group was responsible for a specific task. Normally, the workflow for getting a message would include the following stages. One, interception of German messages at the so-called Y stations. 2. Traffic analysis. 3. Hunting for cribs. 4. Bomber runs. 5. Testing of the possible Enigma settings. 6. D 
decoding of the German messages with adapted Type X machines, which were British rotor cipher machines that were adapted so that they had the same inner wirings as the Enigma and could decode Enigma messages. 7. Translation and analyzing of the messages by the intelligence. Before the analysts started to look for cribs, they regularly tried the known sillies. This meant some extra work, but sometimes it paid off and saved hours of work. Another time saver was the fact that the Enigma operators were not allowed to use a certain scrambler setting for two days in a row. As soon as the codebreakers got the daily keys, they could rule out a lot of settings for the next day, which roughly reduced their work by half. Alan Turing was one of the leading mathematicians in Cambridge. His thesis, called On Computable Numbers, was most influential in the world of mathematics, and he was also to become very important later in the 20th century for the evolution of computer science. Turing is widely known as the father of computer science. In September 1939, he was invited to Bletchley Park to become a crypt analyst. Turing continued Rayevsky's idea of the letter chains, but connected plain text and ciphertext letters within a crib instead of the message key. He supposed that the Germans would stop to send the message key twice, what they actually did in 1940. He started planning a machine, which included three rotor sets connected with an electrical circuit. The output of the first set was connected with the input of the second set, and the output of the second set was connected to the input of the third set. The second set was one step ahead of the first one, and the third set was two steps ahead. Turing's construction nullified the stackerboard settings and dramatically reduced the number of different settings to check. A light bulb was illuminated when the electrical circuit was complete, which meant that the right setting was found. In most other cases, all of the light bulbs were illuminated, and this represented a false setting. This machine would need five hours to find the right scrambler setting if it changed the scrambler position every second. The Government Code and Cipher School was able to finance the construction of this machine, which was named, like the Polish machine, some year before, BOMB. The first version was much slower than expected, needing a week to find a particular key, but after several improvements and 15 built bombers, they needed just one hour to find an Enigma key. The bomber worked on the basis of the principle reductio ad absurdum, which meant that each particular assumption, that means the Enigma setting, had to be proved wrong before the bomber could move on. To reduce the number of bomber runs, Alan Turing developed a statistical method to decrease the number of possible settings based on the probability of cribs. This method was called Banbarismus, later called sequential analysis. The bombers were a big improvement, but the search for the daily keys continued to be an intense fight, which restarted every 24 hours. The hardest work was to find the cribs, which were used as the basis for the bombers. A tough nut to crack was the naval enigma of the Kriegsmarine. As mentioned earlier, it had more rotors to choose from and had an adjustable reflector. The operators were trained not to use those stereotypical messages, which were essential for cribs, 
had had a different system for selecting the daily keys. For the Allies, cracking these messages was essential to gain the upper hand in the war for the Atlantic Ocean. The German submarines were very successful in attacking the Allied convoys on their way from the USA to Europe. Knowing their positions would help the Allies in two ways. Firstly, they could reroute their convoys, and secondly, they could attack the German submarines. One way to get the useful cribs was the so-called gardening. British planes laid mines on particular locations in the hope that German ships would send out warnings, including the coordinates for the minefield. In further consequence, this would result in a crib. Another method to obtain the daily keys was to steal German code books. As mentioned before, this was successful several times. One never realized operation even included the crash landing of a stolen German aeroplane in the English Channel to steal the code book of a German ship. Operation Ruthless was planned by a member of the Naval Intelligence, who became famous for his spy stories later. Ian Fleming, creator of James Bond. The information obtained from either cracked messages or stolen code books had to be used very carefully to prevent disclosure of the source of information. For example, German ships were sunk after their code books were stolen to make the Germans believe that the code book was also lost. Spotter planes were sent out before an attack on a German U-boat to mark a sighting by the plane, or fake messages containing U-boat sightings were sent out. The Enigma messages of the parts of the German armed forces, Wehrmacht, Kriegsmarine, Luftwaffe, SS, etc., differed not only in terms of how hard they were to decipher, depending on different Enigma settings and operational procedures, also the amount of traffic was different. Before the Allied invasion in Normandy in 1944, messages of the German army and air force were mainly transmitted via landline. Which made interceptions impossible. Although Alan Turing and his colleagues had access to all the Polish knowledge, they reinvented some of the methods that were already worked out by Marian Rejewski and his fellows. Gordon Welchman, one of the leading crypt analysts besides Turing, concentrated on females and invented his own version of the perforated sheets, like Henryk Zygalski years before. But he went one step further by developing an electrical add-on to the bomber that Turing built before the diagonal board. It consisted of a 26 by 26 matrix of electrical terminals representing the alphabet that were diagonally connected. It was directly attached to the bomber and enabled the use of any crib of three or four words, which reduced the possibility of turnovers and made the crypt analyst's work much easier. Until 1943, Britain did not share its knowledge about the breaking of the Enigma with its allies. Of course, ultra intelligence was passed on to American commands as they were fighting along with British troops. The first American intelligence officers were invited to Bletchley Park in 1943. Later, the U.S. Navy and U.S. Army built their own bombers based on those developed in Britain.